Good morning, everyone. You're looking good. You know, even though Mick has prayed a, a double portion over me, the first service, I didn't pray. I just took, accepted that as, as enough, and it didn't feel right. So I need to check in, too, with the Lord, and I'd love it if you'd join me. Father God, um, I just want to give this time over to you. I give myself over to you. I need you desperately. Father, I ask that you would give me strength as I preach, and may these words that I share be from you and nothing from me. In fact, if there is anything from me, may it fall, fall away. But Lord, what's from you, I pray, would take root and would um, make a change in our lives. Father, we want to grow to be more like Jesus Christ. And we need you. We need your filling. We need your strengthening. And we need your word, the truth of your word. So anoint this time. And as Mick prayed, I pray for a double portion of anointing. Whatever you will give, I will take. We love you so much. Bless this time in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. That's better. Feels a lot better. Hey, over the past couple of weeks, I've been talking about the Beatitudes or those attitudes that Jesus told us that as believers we should be living out as well as be growing in and thus be blessed by, which he delivered in the first part of his famous Sermon on the Mount. So far, we've learned that blessed, and if you remember the word, makarios, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is from Matthew 5, 3. That is, those who are humble, those who are empty of self, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, meaning because those people are empty of self, they are the ones whom God can truly fill whom he can indwell completely, and whom he can rule absolutely. We've also learned that blessed are those who mourn, Matthew 5, 4. Those who are contrite of heart or who mourn sin, the general presence of sin in the world, as well as and especially their own personal sin. For they shall be comforted, meaning because those people truly mourn their sin, they will repent of it, and thereby receive the comfort that God gives to the repentant. That then brings us to the third beatitude, which we're going to consider this morning. So, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn in them to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to read verses 1 and 2, and then I'm going to skip to verse 5. All right, Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, now jump down to verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. All right, with regard to this third beatitude, we're going to do three basic things this morning. First of all, we're going to define the word meek or meekness. And the reason that we need to do that is because this is a word that's 
profoundly misunderstood in our culture today, and we need to make sure we get it right, that we truly understand what it means to be meek. Secondly, we are going to determine what it means to inherit the earth, because this is not an intuitively understood phrase. I don't know about you, but I don't use this phrase really unless I read the Beatitudes. Last but not least, we will discover why the meek will inherit the earth, and thus why they are blessed. So let's start out by defining the word meek or meekness. And to that end, let me say right up front that meekness is not weakness, which is probably how it's most widely misunderstood today. The prevailing thought, especially among those of the world, is that a meek person is a spineless person, one with no backbone whatsoever, a Mr. Lubner, if you will, a wimp. And if that Mr. Lubner reference passed you by, you're simply too young, you can ask me about it later. But in the original language, the word translated as meek, that's the word praus, is a word that is also used to describe bridling a horse or taming a wild animal, meaning that it involves the process of teaching or training the animal. It's not that the meek animal has become powerless, but rather that the power of that animal has been brought under the control of the trainer, or in other words, it's been hardest. So in the Christian realm, then, when we talk about a meek person, we're not talking about a spineless wimp, a Mr. Lubner. Rather, we're talking about a person whose life has been brought under the influence and the control of the Holy Spirit. Consider Jesus, who proclaimed himself to be meek in Matthew eleven twenty nine, where he said, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle. There's the ESV's translation of the word praus. And it's translated, by the way, in the King James Version as meek, for I am gentle or meek and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. Yet look at what Jesus did, for instance, to the money changers in the temple when he found them defiling it. He made a whip of cords and used it to drive all of them from the temple, scattering their coins everywhere, overturning their tables, and in essence saying to them, get this junk out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a shopping mall? That's not exactly what he said, but in essence that's what he was saying. Jesus was filled with righteous indignation, and his actions demonstrated as much. But all the while, the Holy Spirit remained in charge, and God's purposes prevailed. Jesus was and is most definitely not a wimp. Regarding meekness, A.W. Tozer once wrote, and I quote now, The meek man is not a human mouse afflicted with a sense of his own inferiority. Rather, he may be in his moral life as bold as a lion and as strong as Samson, but he has stopped being fooled about himself. He has accepted God's estimate of his own life. He knows he is as weak and helpless as God declared him to be, but paradoxically, he knows at the same time that he is in the sight of God of more importance than angels. In himself, nothing, 
in God everything. That is his motto, end quote. So meekness is not a weakness. Rather, it's harnessed power. It's Holy Spirit-produced power under control. Therefore, the person who is meek is the, the one who, to use just three descriptors to kind of help us flesh out this definition of meekness, those who are, first of all, teachable, not unreachable. The meek don't live as if they know it all and, and thus are unreachable with regard to direction or instruction. They are fully aware that they don't know it all and they therefore always want to learn more about Jesus and more about their faith or their relationship with Jesus. In other words, meek people are teachable people, which is exactly what Jesus was encouraging his disciples to be when he said to them, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, I've already quoted it, but let's do it one more time. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus said, and learn from me. For I am gentle, praus, meek, and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus wants his followers to constantly be learning more about him. He wants us to be forever teachable and not ever unreachable. In other words... He wants us to be meek. So every single day of our lives, we should pray, Lord, teach me more about you today. Help me to learn something this day that will help make me more like you and will help make me more useful for your kingdom purposes. Help me, God, to be meek. The meek are those who are secondly gentle, not judgmental. The meek accept others for who they are and treat them with gentleness, even though those others may see things differently than they do. I want you to listen to what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 14, verse 1, and this is the message translation. Welcome with open arms believers who don't see things the way you do. And don't jump all over them every time they do or say something you don't agree with even when it seems that they are strong on opinions, but weak in the faith department. Remember, they have their own history to deal with. Treat them gently. Not only do the meek treat gently those with differing opinions, they're also gentle and not judgmental with those who sin and who mess up their lives. They don't say, I told you so. I could see that one coming. I mean, you really blew it, man. How could you be so dumb? Rather, the meek gently love those who mess up, and they do all they can to help restore them back into a right relationship with God. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of, here it is, gentleness. The meek are those who are thirdly proactors, not reactors. Let me ask you a question. And unlike, I think it was last week I asked a question, I really wanted you to answer me. This time I don't want you to answer me. It's a rhetorical question. I want you to answer yourself in the quietness of your heart, all right? What is your normal response when someone hurts you? Do you retaliate? 
Do you lash out so as to get even? Or are you quick to forgive that person? Do you treat him or her with love and kindness? Aren't you glad I didn't ask you to answer out loud? Those who retaliate are reactors, those who react to the world around them. And more often than not, their reaction is a demonstration of unbridled, uncontrolled energy, otherwise known as spewing. And yours truly has been guilty of said offense and more than once. Just ask my wife. Those, on the other hand, who choose to forgive and to treat their detractors with love and kindness are proactors. Those who, despite their raw initial emotions, proactively respond in obedience to Scripture. And their action then becomes a demonstration of bridled or controlled power, that is, of meekness. Romans chapter 12, verse 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil. In other words, don't let it control you. Don't be a reactor, but overcome evil with good. That is, be a proactor. By the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells you, make the choice. And a choice it is. Make no mistake about that. This is a choice. Make that choice to forgive and to love rather than to retaliate and to hate. Now, I'm sure there are many other ways to describe those who are meek based on our definition of the word meekness, but I think those three will suffice. I think you get the idea and that we are now all clear on what it means to be meek from a biblical perspective. So now we can consider our second question, which is, what does it mean to inherit the earth? As I mentioned earlier, this is not an intuitively understood phrase, so we need to look into it. And to get at the meaning of this phrase, we need to take a quick peek into the Old Testament. When the Israelites stood on the opposite bank of the Jordan River, across from the land of Canaan, the Lord spoke to their leader, Moses, saying to him, this is Numbers chapter 13, verse 1, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel. The key phrase in that verse is, which I am giving. Put that in your back pocket. Canaan, of course, was the land promised to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, and the land that was passed down from generation to generation, a land, and please don't miss this, this is really important, which the Israelites did not have to take or conquer on their own, but which was rather to be given to them by the Lord. The Israelites failed to realize this at first, and so they turned back out of fear. They did not initially trust in the Lord to give this land to them. And we know that he gave them the land only when they eventually trusted him and obeyed his commands. So with that in mind, then, what is the earth to inherit in this beatitude? I believe that it represents what God wants to give to his people. In other words, it's the promises of God made to his children the promises of his presence and of his peace and of his provision and of his future glory, to mention just a few of them. Promises that are realized only through our trust in God's ways 
and our obedience to God's word. Here's how theologian Albert Barnes puts it, and I quote, Our Savior meant to say, not that the meek would own great property or have many lands, but that they would possess special blessings. The Jews also considered the land of Canaan as a type of heaven and of the blessings of the Messiah. To inherit the land became, therefore, an expression denoting those blessings. When our Savior uses this language here, he means that the meek will be received into his kingdom and partake of his blessings here and of the glories of the heavenly Canaan hereafter, end quote. So to inherit the earth then is to inherit the promises that God has made to his kids. And if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you're one of his kids. That then leads me to our third and final question, which is really our most pivotal question, and that is why? Why do the meek, those whose lives have been brought under the influence and the control of the Holy Spirit, and who are therefore teachable as opposed to unreachable, and who are gentle as opposed to judgmental, and who are proactors as opposed to reactors, why do the meek inherit the earth? Why do those people freely receive the promises of God and are thus blessed? I believe it's because the meek, by virtue of their meekness, are completely sold, S-O-L-D, out to God. And yes, S-O-L-D is an acronym. Are you ready? Here we go. The meek are, first of all, and foundationally S, submitted entirely to God. The meek see themselves and their plans and their agenda as nothing. And God's plans and his agenda and his glory as everything. Remember Tozer from earlier? In himself nothing, in God everything. So the meek submit themselves entirely to God and to his kingdom purposes. The meek are the ones who cry out with King David, Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And there's no greater yearning within them to, than to have more of Jesus, to know him better and to love him more deeply. And so they give themselves completely over to those things. The meek are absolutely teachable and they're thoroughly trainable. And because they are entirely tuned in to God and completely dependent upon his grace, they have no cause to be argumentative with and or judgmental of others. Rather, they're gentle and kind to others, even to those with whom they disagree. And because they trust God as their provider and their advocate, they have no reason to reactively lash back at those who wrong them and every reason to proactively overcome evil with good. As those who are entirely S, submitted to God, the meek are secondly O, obedient to his commands. The meek want nothing more than to do whatever it is their heavenly Father tells them to do. They don't pick and choose which commands to obey. 
They don't single out those commands that are easy and or those commands that don't cramp their style and obey those only. Rather, they faithfully and joyfully obey everything God tells them in his word to do. And because they're obedient to the commands of God, the meek will L, land, or inherit the promises of God. And yes, the play on words here is intentional. Just as the Israelites inherited the promised land when they ultimately trusted God and obeyed his command, the meek will inherit God's promises when they trust him and obey his commands. And because they have landed or inherited the promises of God, the meek are extremely delighted. They are delighted. They are vastly and enormously blessed. How could they be anything other than delighted? So if we, God's children here at Harvest Fellowship, are to be meek and to inherit the earth, that is, to inherit the promises of God and thus experience makarios, that deep Christian joy and peace and contentment. And I do hope that that is our deep desire. We, too, must sell out to God. To that end, we need to completely reject the watered-down and, dare I say, false, ear-tickling version of the Christian faith that has become so prevalent in our culture. The brand of faith that says, I should always be comfortable and I should always have everything I ask for and I shouldn't ever have to make sacrifices and I really don't have to obey everything in God's word. I mean, come on, it's an old book. Much of what's in it was intended for the original audience, those people of antiquity, not us. And the brand of faith that says, I don't really need to worship God corporately. Or, I will worship him corporately, that is, with others, but only when I want to and in the way that makes me feel good because, after all, worship is as much about my entertainment as it is about God's glory, and I don't really need to be a part of a church body, or I'll be a part of a church body, but I'll do it my way. I'll be a spectator sitting way up high in the back row of the bleachers, and if I get disenchanted, or heaven forbid, disrespected, I'll move on to a church that better suits my purposes. If we're to be sellouts for God, and thus the meek that inherit the earth, my friends, we need to completely reject that false Christianity, and we need to fully embrace true biblical Christianity. The brand of faith that says, it is not about me whatsoever. It is all about God and his glory. And the brand of faith that says, I may not always be comfortable and get everything I want. My needs will always be met because my Lord promises that. And I may have to make some sacrifices at times, but God's grace will always be sufficient for me. There's a promise in the word about that as well. And that says, I will, through the power of the Holy Spirit who indwells me, obey everything in God's word, regardless of the personal cost. And I will worship my God faithfully because he is worthy of my worship. And I will be a part of a church body because that's what God has told me in his word to do. And I will do it his way. I will be a participant 
I will mix it up out on the playing field with everything I've got, and I will remain committed to my church even when the times get tough. Now, that may sound strong. I know Mick told me I shouldn't have to say that, but I, it's, not my, it's not my intention to offend anybody with these words, but here's the truth. This culture under the leadership of the evil one is working very, very hard to turn Christianity into a fluffy, self-centered faith that many can find and prosper in. But that is a lie. The reality is that Christianity is a radical, God-centered faith that few will find and mature in. And here at Harvest, we don't want anyone to be misled. We want you to know the truth. Pastor Larry preaches about this all the time. Here's how Jesus said it. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. The message of the gospel, contrary to what many have made it out to be, is not a matter of mere profession. It's not merely whisper a little prayer in which you acknowledge that you are a sinner and that you know that Jesus died in your place for your sins, after which you will board the proverbial plane headed for heaven where it just sit back and relax and let God serve as your flight attendant so as to make your trip as comfortable as possible along the way. That's a mouthful. Christianity is not merely a matter of profession. It's not about intellectual understanding and assent. It's not only about head knowledge. It is far more radical than that. It's about a heart decision that leads to dramatic life change. Therefore, it's not a matter of profession. It's a matter of possession. And it's characterized by scriptures such as these. Matthew 16, 24 and 25. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. This is Jesus now. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and yes, even his own life, that is, and this is commentary right now, in comparison to how much he loves Jesus, back to the verse, cannot be my disciple. In Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old's gone. Behold, the new has come. The meek are the ones who understand the radical, God-centered nature of the Christian faith, faith and who sell out to God, not in spite of it, but because of it. The meek are therefore the ones who will inherit the promises of God and the ones who will experience makarios, that it is well with my soul, joy and peace and contentment. Blessed are the meek. 
Blessed are the gentle, teachable, proactively obedient Christians who are entirely sold out to God, mind, body, and soul, for they shall inherit the earth. They are the ones who will receive God's promises and who will, as a result, experience deep Christian blessedness. Worship team, wherever you are, come back and join me. Let's pray together.